scripture reading tonight will be from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 9. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood around the world. I pray that as Christians, we can have the confidence to defend ourselves against the devil. And in order to do that, we need to know what the threats are. As I said this morning, I don't like that whole idea of playing the devil's advocate because I just don't like the idea that somehow I might be on his side or working for him in some way. But I believe that what we're studying today, rather than contracting to help his case, is a contrast to destroy his case. Because what we're doing today and what we're going to do this afternoon is I want to show you four more ways that I would behave if I were the devil. Four more ways that the devil does, in fact, try to undo us spiritually. I want to show you four ways that I would tempt humans. Some ways that I would use temptation against non-believers and some ways that I would use temptation against believers, which I believe is most everybody in this room. And so in my efforts to destroy them and destine them for eternity in hell, these are four more things that I would do if I were the devil. And the first one, like all of them, is really, really simple. It is this. Firstly, I would make Christianity look amazing from the outside. And then once somebody was in Christianity, I would do my best to make their daily living very plain Jane. Once somebody is in Christ, I would do my very best to take away all of the razzle-dazzle that they saw before they became a Christian. And here's how I would do it. I would make them, I would make them see before they became Christians the Bible stories about fire falling from heaven at the prayer of Elijah or about the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus as a dove when he was baptized or about Joshua's heroic conquests of enemy nation after enemy nation or about Paul's converting lots of high profile people all the way up to the household of Caesar himself. I would draw your attention before you become a believer to the personal stories of people converting whole towns and whole, really, counties of of aboriginal people, whether in Africa or Australia or wherever it is, these people that have never heard of the Bible. I would want you to see the grand stories about veterans whose whole platoon became Christians after one fateful night of shelling. I'd want you to see people who revolutionized whole governments and abolished slavery for whole nations because they believed in the sanctity of human life and because they sought it for the glory of God. Well, that sounds really cool, doesn't it? As a matter of fact, in addition to that, I, I would just give you even more stories about people who have these radical, life-changing experiences at church or at a camp or at a retreat of some sort. All this stuff that makes Christianity sound like it must just be amazing all the time. And then, when you started the daily living... If I were the devil, I'd do my best to pull that rug right out from underneath you. Because as cool as all of that stuff can sound, 
When it comes time to pray for your mother to have some relief from her arthritis, it doesn't have the same effect, does it? When it comes time to take family to a fam- to take food to a family that you don't really like that much, but they're grieving the loss of a loved one and you're going to take them some food, it doesn't it doesn't have the same sound, doesn't have the same ring to it anymore, does it? When it comes time to just squeeze in some Bible reading time amongst the screaming kids and endless laundry and diapers and Barney episodes, it doesn't sound quite so heroic and exciting anymore. When it comes time to apologize to your non-Christian friend because you let him down in some way, when it comes time to fast for a day, just not eat anything and devote yourself to prayer and not tell anybody about it. It doesn't have the same ring to it as converting whole villages, as turning entire governments, as parting Red Seas and all of that spectacular stuff. If I were the devil then, I would always do my best to keep you wanting more. To make you want more amazing in your life, to make daily devotions of faith feel like a waste of time. My goal, if I were the devil, would be to keep you as a believer perpetually confused, perpetually disappointed with yourself, with Bible reading, with organized religion, and ultimately to be disappointed with God. I would make you want more and more all the time But I wouldn't give you an opportunity to clarify what that more actually is. Is it more emotions? Is it more excitement? Is it more noise? Is it more peace? Is it more happiness? Is it more of those special, impressive, movie-type moments? I wouldn't let you figure that out. I wouldn't let you even stop to think about that. I would just convince you that what you need is more. And if I could convince you to do that, I believe that I could start unraveling you. Because then you would start, number one, pursuing that undefined more, which you will never attain. And number two, you will start loathing the disappointment of overhyped spirituality. You will start to be bitter about overhyped spirituality. I would put a bitter taste in your mouth every time somebody talked about an uplifting worship experience. Because... I've heard that before. It's just a worship experience. I would try to put a really bitter taste in your mouth. Anytime anybody says there's going to be this great sermon series, it's going to help you so much. Yeah, I've heard preaching before. It didn't really help that much. I would try to put a bitter taste in your mouth. Anytime somebody says this is a really moving passage and you need this teaching in your daily life. I've read the Bible before. It doesn't change that much. Jesus warned that the devil would do that. He talked in Luke chapter 9 at the end of that chapter. You can turn over there and read a couple of those verses with me if you want to. In Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 57, there's a man that excitedly runs up to Jesus and says, I'll follow you wherever you go. It's a big moment in his life. And Jesus responds, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, I admit that there is a magnificent home promised for us, but there are plenty of simple sacrifices to be made along that daily road to get there that are not nearly as spectacular seeming as what we hope to receive. 
And then to another, just the same section there down in verse 62, to another, Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Do you know, in all of recorded history, there has never, ever, has never, ever been a crowd of people drawn to watch someone plow a field. Never. (laughs) Because why? Why would you want to see that? Well, you know why you don't want to see that is because it's just not that exciting. But that does not mean, brothers and sisters, that the daily part of Christianity should be disappointing. On the contrary, the daily should be our chance to commune with God and to deliberately seek Him. Because God is grand. And by the way, on that note, I had intended to say that. I have not, had not intended to say this. But Evan, you couldn't have picked a better song in replacement of the one that was off. <laughs> That was just awesome that God is truly that good. And so David would write in the Psalms, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. Those are there every day. That's daily exposure to the glory of God. Another psalmist talked about things that praise God and show his magnificence from the mountains and all hills to fruit trees and all cedars, to beasts and all livestock and creeping things and flying birds. They all are daily exposure to the grandeur of God that He is seen in both the magnificent and the huge and in the tiny and the intricate that is present all around us. And then think about the Word itself, this Word you know, when the novel Watership Down came out, many of you are familiar with this book, you had to read it in high school. When the novel Watership Down was, was first published, the reviewer in the London Times wrote the headline about his review of the book and it said, I announce with trembling excitement the arrival of a great story. Yeah, that's a great way to say it about this. <laughs> that is a great way to say what this book is. I loved the moment when I was teaching a friend the gospel several months ago. And we were reading a passage from Romans and he just, he read it out loud. And then he just stopped and he stared at it and he said, hang on, sorry, I'm just, I'm just soaking it up because this is just really good writing. And I went, yeah, I know. (laughs) It is really good writing. And it's the kind of stuff that can be awesome every day. That can be the daily exposure that we want to the great and awesome God of heaven. However, if I were the devil, I would leave you forever wanting something else. And I would call it something more. But the reality is, it would be something else. So you want to know the solution to that? To fighting against that temptation from the devil, it is this. It is the attitude that Paul took in Philippians chapter 4 when he said, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. And any, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can choose to be content with just Knowing Christ and letting that be the awesome that comes from daily devotion to him. And you must do that. You must do that because if I were the devil, I would be out every day on the daily 
to destroy your peace and contentment in God. And once I had destroyed your satisfaction in Him with a desire for more self-fulfillment, I would do my best to insulate you from God by inflating your pride again and again. And I would do that in two ways, and here they are. Number one, I would do my best to attach a level of pride to your sin. If I were the devil, I would ensure the ignorance of my victims and make them proud of the sin that they live in. I would make them feel like that sin is what defines them as a person and gives them worth and gives them joy. I would keep reminding them that sin is what the world loves. It's what the world respects and it's what the world wants to see more of. And that if I live like that, I would do my best as the devil to remind you that it makes you seem noble and likable and even admirable to participate in some sins. Like, for instance, a couple of examples. Homosexuality. Homosexuality is seen in our day as a sign of being progressive and free. Both of those sound like really good ideas, don't they? But you know what? It's still a sin. What about sexual promiscuity? I would try to pitch that to you if I were the devil. I would try to pitch that as a sign of coming of age. Or as a sign of some sort of perverted understanding of manliness, right? That's the way I would try to pitch that to you. If I were the devil, I would try to pitch abortion to you, the murder of children. I would try to pitch that to you as a statement of your own self-worth and social justice. And if I were the devil, I would take that old Bible concept of lewdness that today we call sexiness. And I would present that as a distorted concept of femininity. And I would do all of it so that the sin itself would be your source of identity and pride. And so when the sin is confronted in you, your immediate appeal is to that which is your right, your freedom. And Satan has always done a good job of making us focus on this, making us focus on what we believe we deserve. And so when the I becomes the most important person in my life, when I am just looking out for number one, then I will prove God right again and again when he said that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall in Proverbs sixteen eighteen. Now that's way number one is to assign virtue to certain sins. And with that being the case then, with that being option one, the other option is I would use pride as a temptation against religious people. And I would do this by encouraging them to develop a healthy level of pride, healthy in quotes there, a healthy level of pride in their own religiousness their own goodness, their own level of orthodoxy and personal holiness that makes God so happy to have you. I would encourage you to have this kind of pride in your heart. I know that we have talked here recently about a few problems with our nation's fastest growing religious group, which is our spiritual group, which is those who say I am spiritual, but not religious. And there are plenty of biblical problems with that mentality. But can I say to you that there are just as many problems? As a matter of fact, through history, there are even more references to the problems of those who are religious, but are not spiritual. The problem of those who are just living in what we would call hypocrisy. That their life seems to be full of all sorts of good understanding of orthodoxy and truth. 
And yet they refuse to live with the kind of heart, the kind of heart that God asked them to have. Perhaps the best and most concise example of this attitude then is manifested in the Pharisee that prays in the temple in Luke chapter 18. You remember that story? Luke chapter 18, a Pharisee and a tax collector both go up to pray in the temple. And while the tax collector is drawing closer to God and admitting his need for salvation and the grace of God, Jesus says the Pharisee stood and prayed to himself. (laughs) Now, that probably means that he prayed off by himself. Just It's probably just a commentary on the spatial differentiation between them. But isn't it an interesting choice of words that he prayed to himself? Who's number one? Well, you know from the content of his prayer, as he thanks God that he is not like other men, you know from the content of his prayer that he is number one. He's very religious. He did everything right that could be done right except have his heart close to the God of heaven. And if I were the devil... I would try to convince you to be just like him. We are all in danger of becoming arrogant and becoming weak in our faith and being arrogant about it. And so, you know, maybe your manifestation of that is that you're just grateful to have finally gotten it all figured out right. That your understanding is about as good as it ought to be. And God must be really glad to have somebody like you who knows as much as you do about this, about him, about relationships with other Christians. Maybe your example of that is that you're proud to have been raised in the church or to be a member of the Church of Christ or to have a granddaddy and a a great granddaddy that was Church of Christ. And so you know what? It doesn't matter if you actually seek God because at least I'm in the right church. Now, I'm I'm not going to say that that is anybody in this room unless that is somebody in this room. (laughs) And only you and God know your heart. Only you can decide to love him with all of your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. Now, doing that will require you to deny yourself, to deny your rights, to deny your freedoms and your choices in favor of his way. It will mean surrendering the perceived right, the perceived riches of sin and becoming what Jesus would call poor in spirit, becoming willing to be filled with him because I am destitute of identity without him. I am destitute of hope without him and I am destitute of the ability to be righteous without him. If I were the devil... I would use pride and I would use it in those two ways. And I promise you that I could be very effective with those two techniques. Because I have a very good track record with those two techniques. Don't. Don't be too proud, brothers and sisters, to admit that Satan has a hold on your heart. Because I'm telling you, if I were the devil, that's exactly why I would want to fill you with pride. Thirdly, this evening... If I were the devil, I'd take advantage of the fact that the human mind is limited and I would do my best to exploit the limits of your understanding. You ever watch a sleight of hand musician, uh, musician, magician, sleight of hand musician. What does that even mean? Okay. Uh, you ever watch a sleight of hand magician, a guy that can come up and shake your hand and steal your watch. 
you know, that kind of thing. What does he do to make that happen? Does he come up and he tells you, hey, don't think about your watch? (laughs) Well, that doesn't make any sense. No, he comes up and he just draws your attention somewhere else. And while your attention is on something else, he steals your watch. (laughs) That's a pretty easy way to understand what I think sometimes the devil does with us. And if I were the devil, this is exactly what I would try to do to you. And especially I would do this in the way that you view the Bible. I would do my best to get and keep you off balance when it comes to understanding the Bible. If I were the devil, I would be completely okay with some things in the Bible being crystal clear in your mind. You know, the devil himself knows the Bible And he fully understands what it means. And so if I were him, I'd be okay with you knowing the Bible. And even with you knowing some of it really, really well. But I would want you to know those things so well and so intimately that you weren't paying attention to the other stuff. I would put your focus on this hand while I'm working with this hand. Like for instance... Being devoted to unconditional love in our marriages, but neglecting to talk about the fact that God demands respect in our marriages. You see, if I were the devil, I wouldn't have to deny that you need respect in a marriage to be what God wants it to be. I would just have to not make you think about it. Make you think about one aspect while you forget the other. If I were the devil, I would let Christians have a crystal clear understanding of the importance of teaching the truth. But I do my best to keep them just the tiniest bit fuzzy on this whole concept of teaching with love. Or the other way around. You take your pick. It happens both ways. We do our best to say we're going to be loving, but we neglect to teach the truth. I do my best just to keep you a little off balance. And if I were the devil... I would let Christians form a very clear comprehension of the dangers of materialism and greed for those who are rich. But I would make sure that they never considered that materialism might be a threat for those who consider themselves poor. And I would tell every Christian, you're one of the poor ones. So that you're not thinking about how this might be a danger to you. You see how all of that works? You see how all of that sleight of hand works? It's that same technique of distraction that we talked about this morning. It's just a more specific use against believers. And one element that I would use to make that happen, one element of this whole scheme that I would use to encourage it, is that I would encourage the simple regurgitation of ideas rather than an emphasis on studying the truth. Now, you need to hear that sentence very, very, very carefully this evening because this is one of those sentences that can turn into the problem I'm talking about. I would encourage the regurgitation of ideas without careful study of the truth because ideas and the truth are not always the same thing. And here's what happens. Here's what can happen. Just as an example... I heard a message from someone that um, we would likely consider a brother in Christ who proclaimed that we are not saved by grace. And that if someone has, if somebody calls you a legalist, 
Well, you know what? That's okay. Because that's kind of what we are. Now, I imagine, I imagine that that man heard somewhere along the way that there are people who teach erroneous doctrines about grace. And you know what? There are. And I imagine that somewhere along the line, he heard that we do need to follow what Paul calls the law of Christ. And so that means legal proceedings, right? Now, I get that's true. But when we carelessly regurgitate the ideas that we have heard from others, and we are not careful to understand them in their biblical contexts, then we end up agreeing to be legalists, which means we have said we will save ourselves and we don't need the grace of God. And God help us if we ever fall into that trap. It denies the grace of Christ and puts salvation squarely on our own shoulders. And you know what did that? Not carefully studying the truth, but just carelessly regurgitating something that we've been told. And if I were the devil, I'd make sure that happens a lot. I'd make sure that that happens an awful lot. That rather than letting people deliberately study, giving careful attention to God, giving prayer-driven investigation of both the letter and the spirit of God's laws, I would encourage believers to just kind of latch on to certain parts of the spiritual messages that they hear every now and then and just run with that. Not taking the Berean road of Acts 17 to search the Scriptures daily to see if what they're being taught is actually so. I find it interesting that the Bereans did not call an expert on Orthodox Judaism to see if Paul was right. I find it interesting that they didn't order a bunch of tracts from famous Jewish writers to see if what Paul was teaching was right. And that they did not form a conference to take a vote on the new doctrine to see if what Paul was teaching was right. What did they do? They went to the word of God for the truth. And when it came time to teach that will to others, they were able to teach it as the truth and not just regurgitated old ideas. Now, I want to hasten to add here, and I need to do this. I need to say that not everything you hear from another human being is wrong. I need to say that for my own job security and... (laughs) And I need to say that because there are some great women and men of the faith who have taught the truth through the ages. And so not everything written by mankind is wrong, and I don't believe that at all. But we do need to make sure that as Paul encouraged Timothy, that we do our best to present ourselves to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed Because we are rightly handling the word of truth. We need to make sure that even though, even though some of the ideas that we have heard may be correct, that we validate them and always, always find them foremost in their complete form from the word of God. And maybe... Maybe that sounds tiring to you. Maybe that sounds like a lot of work to you to start thinking through that kind of filter and to have to do that continually. Well, good. It should sound like a lot of work. It should sound like a lot of work because living the gospel, which is one of our goals as a church family, living the gospel is a lot of work. And part of the great workload of living the gospel is that the temptations that we have talked about all day today will simply not go away. 
And so if I were the devil, I would never, ever, ever, ever give up my efforts to bring you down to hell with me. I would never leave my victims alone, even while I'm trying to convince them to be alone, to isolate themselves. I would convince them on the front end. Ready for this? I do my best to convince my victims on the front end that if your faith is strong enough one day, you won't be tempted anymore. And then I would never stop tempting them. Being stronger doesn't mean that you will be tempted less. If anything, it means that Satan will throw his strongest attacks your way. And if I were the devil, that's exactly what I would do. I would change the temptations over time to fit the different stages of life more appropriately, but I would never stop sending them your way. I would do my dead level best to make you discouraged as a believer in Jesus Christ, because things don't seem to be getting any easier. Well, guess what? They're not going to. Until we find ultimate rest in the presence of God, Satan is going to work as hard as he can to kill us while he has the freedom to do it. Somebody said to me on the way in, they said, I, I thought about this thing that I heard at some point from a preacher that I, I just thought was interesting. And, it, and I thought it was too. It's, Satan doesn't do good, but he's good at what he does. And you know what? That's true. That's true. He is very skilled at this craft. And part of the reason that he is so skilled is because he is so relentless. And so I tell you that not to discourage you, but to tell you, don't be discouraged. That when you get stronger and the temptations seem to get stronger, it doesn't mean that you failed. It's been said that I know God won't give me more than I can handle, but I sure wish he didn't trust me so much. Yeah, I get that. As we saw this morning, as we saw this morning, discouragement in the fact that temptation is still there. You know what? We just need to understand that the power of God is also still there to overcome those temptations. But if I were the devil, I'm just going to let you know, I would never stop using every avenue of the media in my power to slowly wear down your defenses in your faith. I would never stop putting people in your life that you want to be around and you want to be like them and they will hinder your faith. If I were the devil, I would never stop reminding you of that one substance that you are having trouble resisting. If I were the devil, I would never stop putting prideful thoughts of holier than thou in your mind. If I were the devil, I would never stop distracting you from thinking on things above. And I would never, ever stop tempting you. The temptations won't stop until we enter a realm where Satan has no more power. And so while we are in this life, we continue to look to Jesus. And continue to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who, for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so, as I said to you this morning, this is what I would do if I were the devil. Here is what I would do if I were a believer in Christ. If I were a Christian, I would keep both eyes open, looking out for temptation, being sober-minded about the devil's power. And I would keep both eyes open, looking toward Jesus' coming. I would keep both eyes open, being watchful for Him.
Can we end this evening with a word of prayer together? Lord, we pray in faith, knowing that you will answer. We pray, God, that you would lead us not into temptation. We pray that you would lead us not into distraction, but that you would deliver us from evil. We pray, God, that you will help us to shield ourselves with faith and to shield each other with faith so that we can quench even the devil's strongest attacks. Help us, Father, to live the gospel and help us trust that it is your power to salvation in Christ. Help us to overcome temptation and to find perpetual hope in your grace. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Now, I just learned today that the title of my lesson came from an essay by Paul Harvey in the 1960s. Probably a lot of you in this room already knew that, but I just learned it. I got the title from an assignment that I was giving in a, given in a preaching internship at some point, and I just thought, you know what, it was an awful sermon way back when. I'm going to write it, and hopefully it'll be good this time. Okay. But thanks to Richard Newton for pointing me toward Paul Harvey, I now know the rest of the story. And I would like to end this evening by telling you the rest of the story about fighting and overcoming temptation. The rest of the story is that God's power to overcome temptation leads to the blessing of eternal life. And it's pretty much that simple. On one glorious day, God will destroy the devil eternally in hell. I just want to make sure that we understand God didn't design hell for you. It's for the devil. That's where he needs to go. He wants us to come and have eternal life with him, with no temptations, with no trials, and with no distractions pulling us away from the Lord's presence. And so I say, I say with the Apostle John, Lord Jesus, come quickly. So that that can happen. So that freedom can happen. That is for you the rest of the story. Do you want to be part of that? Do you want to be part of the rest of the story? Are you ready to let him overcome your sin, bring you to himself in the splendor of holiness? If you are, why don't you come forward and let us talk to you about that while we're all standing and singing together.